Welcome back to the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast. June marks the beginning of many things for Canadians. Outdoor barbecuing, picnics, city festivals, but it's also both Pride Month and National Indigenous History Month. Although there is lots of news coverage lately about the legacy of genocide this country has attempted on Indigenous communities, we are focusing today's episode on how one group of young Indigenous people are working against this system. Today you'll hear from Gabrielle Fayant, Sam Wong, and Maddie Kelly from the organization Assembly Seven Generations, or A7G. Assembly of Seven Generations is a youth-led, nonprofit organization focused on cultural support and empowerment programs and policies for Indigenous youth while being led by traditional knowledge and elder guidance. A little bit about our speakers. Gabrielle Fayant-Lewis, she, her, originates from Fishing Lake Métis Settlement in Alberta. Gabrielle is an award-winning woman for her work in her community, her dedication to supporting young people, and amplifying grassroots efforts. Gabrielle is passionate about cultural resurgence, revitalization, and restitution for all Indigenous peoples. She has worked with several Indigenous and nonprofit organizations. Sam Wong, he, they, is a Métis, mixed-race, Chinese and Acadian, young person who is passionate about solidarity building across movements. Sam is a student at the University of Toronto and is a helper at A7G, where he helps coordinate webinars, writes reports and evaluations, and coordinates land-based activities. Madeline Kelly, she, they pronouns, is a Turtle Clan, Indo-Trinidadian, and White Femme living on Algonquin land. They are an anti-colonial helper, educator, writer, speaker, and singer. As we mentioned last week, there is a long way to go before our country can truly say that we're reconciling with our past and for the future between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. I had a great conversation with these folks, and I hope you enjoy listening. Be chatting with these folks from Assembly of Seven Generations and hearing a little bit more about the work that they're doing with Indigenous communities. Hey. Hi. <laughs> really nice to be able to chat with you. Thanks for joining me today. For sure. Thanks for having us. I can imagine you are especially really busy with all of the news that's been going on with the remains of the young people found in Kamloops, BC. A lot of us are, are thinking about Indigenous communities and all the grief that they may be, they must be going through. And we're all definitely thinking about you. And, and I'm sure you're doing a lot of work and like really busy with, with that. So thanks. I really, really do appreciate you taking the time. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that the Assembly of Seven Generations is doing? For sure. So my name's Sam Wong. I'm born and raised in Ottawa here in uh, unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin Territory. And for the last four years or so, I've been living in Toronto, going to school at U of T. I'm studying uh, equity studies and Indigenous studies. I am a helper at A7G. This summer, I'm back here in Ottawa and I'm helping facilitate some land-based activities uh, for myself and like the other youth. And yeah, we're doing gardening we're planning to do some canoeing mm -hmm. we're planning to put up a teepee hopefully yeah so there's a bunch of different stuff we got going but I guess I should also say yeah I'm Métis from my family's from on my mom's side from Kalahu, Alberta but um, 
we have like uh, relations from or like my ancestors are from uh, Lac Saint Anne and surrounding areas around Edmonton. And then on my dad's side, I'm Chinese and Acadian. Yeah, so I'll just pass it over to Gabby. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so hi, my name is Gabrielle Theon. Most people know me as Gabby. I'm originally from Alberta. My family comes from one of the eight land-based Métis settlements called Fishing Lake Métis Settlement. I'm a guest here on Algonquin Territory. I've been living here in what is now known as Ottawa for quite a while now. So it's definitely like my home away from home. And yeah, so being like so far away, my homelands, I definitely fell between a lot of cracks and didn't have a lot of support when I was a teenager and even into my 20s. And so that's kind of like why we started A7G is to just support Indigenous youth where they're at. And we also noticed that there was a lot of programming that was created for Indigenous youth, not really by Indigenous youth. And so we noticed that the programs weren't really what Indigenous youth wanted to do. And so that's like another thing that we really try hard to do at A7G is listen to like that guidance from young people to determine the activities and events that we do. And so ever since I I can remember land-based activities and, you know, being out on the land and gardening has always been uh, what young people have said they wanted to do. So, yeah, that's what we're doing this year. We do all kinds of things at A7G. I usually forget all of the things, but... Yeah, you guys are busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see on the website the just like land-based activities, um, annual gatherings, uh, evaluations of Indigenous youth services. Yeah, you folks are, are quite busy over there. Hi, Maddie. Can you give us, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'd love to introduce myself in my Indigenous language in Ganyugeha uh, first. So I would say, And I'm a a Turtle Clan Mohawk from uh, Ganesadage. So my family's in Ganesadage, but I live on uh, Algonquin Territory, unceded Algonquin Territory, so-called Ottawa, for the past about eight years. Yeah, and, you know, in English, uh, my name is Madeline Kelly, but anyone can call me Yonaratahawe or or Maddie or Madeline, that works. And I use uh, she, she, her pronouns or they, them pronouns. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a helper with the A7G and do all types of work. You can see that how much the work of Assembly of Seven Generations is rooted in community building, especially for Indigenous youth. Why is this so important? I think you did touch upon it in terms of your own experience, but why is this kind of support really important to you? I think, like, personally for me and what I've seen, like, in my own life, not being, like, really connected to community, like, my mom was adopted and grew up in Ottawa, kind of disconnected from her family and her community out west. So A7G for me and my brothers, I know has been like a really great avenue for us to connect with Indigenous folks from different nations and just the Indigenous community here in Ottawa and kind of, yeah, help us like build our identity and like find uh, belonging in the community because like we didn't have that really in our childhood. And then through our teenage years and like now as I'm like a young adult, like it's really been a big part of my life that's like supported me in many, many ways. 
And I also see that for the other youth that are involved, like we all come from very different experiences. Some people are, you know, far away from their homelands. Some people are, yeah, here in Ottawa for different reasons, I guess, and going through very different, yeah, like life events and stuff. But we're all able to come together and Gabby and Josh and the others that have helped facilitate this space like over the years have really created a space where we could just be and not have to like show up and act a certain way or whatever. Like some, sometimes when we meet, it is, uh, you know, like it is like, I don't know, like sad. Other times it's happy. Sometimes it's, you know, like really fun. We're learning a lot. So yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is it just allows like a bunch of allows indigenous youth like like myself and like my friends like here at a7g to learn and like learn new skills and like celebrate each other and Mm -hmm. uh yeah like we've also been able to like have a lot of different learning opportunities that have helped us all grow and i can really see like the growth in like the folks that i've known at a7g for the last few years so i think that's what's really important for me but i'll pass it on to gabby yeah, like for me, community is like really everything. So I I really don't like to operate or do things without community. And so I really try to do things that steer away from like capitalism and individualism and all of these isms. And for me, that's uh, making sure you have community and doing things collectively instead of just doing something for my own personal benefit. And so that's like some of the philosophies like within A7G. I feel like they're unwritten philosophies. (laughs) But I think that's the cool thing too, is that we're so diverse. And that's what, you know, people don't really realize about Indigenous peoples is that we're so diverse. Like, if you look at how big North America is, just for example, compared to Europe, And if you were to consider each country in Europe and and place each country and their language and their culture and spread it across North America, like that's how many nations exist in this part of the world. But yet due to colonialism and and violence, people think that we're all one, one group of people. And so what we do at A7G is we, we really try to honor each other's uniqueness and differences but also we come together to try to fight back against colonialism and resist colonialism and and survive and it's hard it's hard being an indigenous person in this this white world that's always trying to assimilate you and trying to change you to fit its narrative but we just don't fit those narratives You know, we're a part of the land. And so it's really hard when you're in a big city and it's so hard to find land and it's so hard to like just be yourself. And so Mm -hmm. like Sam was saying, that's really what we try to do is meet people where they're at and um, Mm -hmm. honor each other for who we are and who our ancestors are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. To be around people like Gabby and be around like some of the other aunties in like community that like doing nothing like isn't an option for their community. And it's just this like selfless devotion and care towards the community that like I feel like is the driver of a better world for us all Mm -hmm. and I feel like everybody can find that in themselves and like it doesn't matter what your community is like there's like 
someone had a conversation with me about they're Italian and they're trying to organize their Italian community and find those similarities, find that, well, like notice those differences and like honor those differences, but find those similarities and like find it in their community to be good settlers or allies and stuff and like really build those connections in a meaningful way and are seeking out guidance from people about how to do that. And it's like, I just been thinking like, yo, we just need to, to give her. And like, doesn't matter what your community is, just like, it starts like with one, like, it starts like, you know, small, and it just builds. And it's been incredible to, you know, even hear about A7G's creation story, and how it's built, like been built up over the years, like with Gabby and with Josh and some of the other helpers. So, you know, like, it's amazing to see the work that A7G that like we're doing and that like Gabby really leads now, but it all started just with like an inspiring kind of moment. So so we had just kind of gone over like, uh, question number two about the work of Assembly of Seven Generations, um, it being rooted in community building and why is this so important? So really heard some some wisdom from Gabby and Sam about the, the need for diversity and the importance of being rooted in community and the opportunity for, from Sam's perspective about like being able to connect as a young person, as a young Indigenous person in an authentic way to, to others um, from his community. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you why being rooted in community is important to you. Wow, that's, that's a huge uh, question. It's a very complicated, big question. But I would say, you know, there's multiple different angles. You know, on the one hand, um, community is... It's a means of uh, survival and a means of thriving together while dealing with uh, realities of colonialism. You know, all those legacies, colonial legacies, as well as um, all the current colonialism that we face as young Indigenous people, all kinds of people needing to continue to, you know, create create a life, a life that we love under the systems that currently exist. But on, on the other hand, uh, I'd like to think of it as uh, who we are just to be in community is who we are as, as people and as like a collective that's very critical to our identities. So it's not simply what we have to do to get through struggles and things that are oppressions that we shouldn't have to experience, shouldn't have to, you know, receive those cards, but uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just who we are as well to be together to come together and to conduct ourselves in those ways that are very, very dramatically different from the Canadian mainstream, like ways of living, I think. So I'm curious to hear, I mean, I think this also kind of ties into the next question, but on our podcast last week, we went into the history of Canada from the first settlers to the formation of the residential school system and all the way through to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 calls to action for reconciliation and have been doing some more learning about A7G and have been really interested to see that you you folks are directly engaging on call to action 66 and really glad to see the way that you're you're engaging when it comes to to putting the calls to action in practice. But the work of reconciliation really does seem to be falling back on Indigenous communities and Indigenous folks. So what are ways that more settlers can get involved in these kind of initiatives and be better allies to Indigenous folks? Okay, just right right off the top of my head, I would say that it's it's very critical for for settlers to, I would say, begin with 
acknowledgements, you know, acknowledgements of, of some kind of preliminary info about, about the realities that exist. So those are, those are our positionality, our privilege, our position, you know, in, uh, in the situation of a colonial country. So that's to say, you know, if as a, as a settler, as a white settler, whose, uh, whose family has been here for many generations, there's, there's a position of benefiting from colonialism and benefiting from indigenous peoples being displaced, forcibly displaced by, by the government and all the various strategies that the government has carried out to destroy indigenous peoples in order to make space for a society that prioritizes white settlers. So I think that's a really good place to start for, uh, for white settlers looking to learn and you know, really be in solidarity with, with indigenous sovereignty struggles and indigenous people. I think for everybody just to, uh, to recognize that it's very uncomfortable and very painful to be in discussion about any of these topics. It's, they're very uncomfortable topics. So it's not going to be pleasant or easy or fun all the time to confront any of these issues. But the only way, the only way to do so is to, to go through and to, to accept the discomfort and embrace the discomfort. So that's what I would offer. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, for me, I think it's really important that that settlers, especially those that have been here for multiple generations, especially settlers that have been here during the time of reckon of uh, residential schools, they have to realize like why residential schools were created in the first place. It wasn't, you know, just like this bad boogeyman in the past. It was literally so settlers could occupy indigenous territories. You know, indigenous children were were rounded up and put into these schools. And while indigenous children were taught that they were inferior, settlers were being taught that indigenous peoples were inferior and did not deserve to live on their homelands. And so it it created what we have today, this idea that Indigenous peoples are a threat, that we're a problem, and then also this idea that we need help. You know, so that also creates this white saviorism that we see that is really not that helpful in the long run. Canadians have to realize that residential schools were not just in the past. It manifested and and evolved into systems that we see today that affect Indigenous peoples right here. Like even the three of us on this call, it affects us to this day. So there's like the impact of residential schools that affected our relatives and our our parents and our grandparents. But there's also the residential school system that transferred into child welfare, that transferred into the high rates of incarcerated Indigenous peoples. And so for me, like, that's a really, really important part of this whole reconciliation conversation is that people haven't really even gotten to the truth of the matter. So how could we be in reconciliation? There's still so much truth that needs to be uncovered before we can even start talking about reconciliation and reparations. So Canadians jumped way too fast to the end of process. And, you know, by jumping ahead way too fast, that kind of talks to Maddie's point as well, is that, you know, people were so uncomfortable that they were just like, let's just get this over with. Let's reconcile. Mm-hmm. But while not actually taking the time to really understand the truth of it all. 
Mm-hmm. Sam, did you want to add anything? Yeah, no, I guess I just wanted to add in too that there are like resources out there like the TRC, like the, we even came out with a report. We did like a kind of webinar and then a report afterwards on Indigenous sovereignty. There in the report, we kind of outlined some of the big things that happened on these lands, like with colonization. And it goes like we talk about policing, we talk about child welfare a little bit. And it kind of is like it's not the be end end all of like learning about this stuff, but it's a great like first resource to open up learning for Mm -hmm. settlers who like want to learn more Mm -hmm. about the history that's going on here. And then it also kind of touches on different communities and different like youth that are taking their sovereignty back in like really radical ways all across the country here. So it's a really interesting resource. It's actually on our website. It's the Indigenous Sovereignty Report. So I'd recommend people to check that out if they're looking for an avenue to to begin learning. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a great idea. And I will link that report in our show notes as well, because I think that would be a really interesting resource for listeners to to go and to do some learning. And to your point, I think to everybody that everybody had made, education is important, but it is only one step. There is so much that I think there's so much that all of us really need to learn. Settlers who have been here for many generations, but also settlers who are just coming or like me, for example, who's I grew, I was born and raised in Canada, but my parents are settlers as immigrants to this land. There were, there's so much that they don't know or understand about the way Indigenous people were treated. And then there's so little information in terms of the way that we're taught about, about Indigenous and um, settler relations in Canada. I mean, purposefully, things that we don't necessarily talk about more openly that we should And to your point about the intergenerational trauma and the way that it is affecting folks like yourself, this isn't something that happened decades ago. It's something that continues to happen now. So yeah, education, definitely one piece, but, but just the beginning, very, very, we're at the very, very early stages for sure. Yeah. And if I could just add something to that as well, like some of my observations is that, you know, survivors came together to create the TRC the TRC and the calls to action. But what happened is that, like I mentioned earlier, folks just like took reconciliation and ran with it without the consent of Indigenous peoples. And then all of a sudden, people were just throwing reconciliation on anything. Like they would see an Indigenous person and be like, reconciliation is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, no one was actually reading the calls to action. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reconciliation became like a marketing and a PR campaign while they could not actually tie any of their actions to the calls to action that survivors put in the summary mm-hmm. um, or sorry, in the report. So that's like a really important part, too, is that folks need to listen to what Indigenous peoples are saying and the calls to action. You can't just mm-hmm. be making up like anything you want and saying you're being a good ally. That's not how it works. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really a really good and important reminder. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of this. I think I need to go back and read what all of those calls to action are. And then if I say that I'm being a good ally and and doing the work of reconciliation, how am I doing that? Am I how am I how am I listening to indigenous folks and and really supporting them from behind instead of just kind of throwing this word around. So I think that's a really important important uh, thing for us to take away. 
Um, I just want to share that. Well, first of all, I know, I know Sam and Gabrielle and myself, like we all know very well, we've been learning from a lot of like friends and family and kin, kin folk, like community members, Afro-Indigenous community members that black peoples are not settlers. So yeah, just to mm-hmm. make that very clear, black folks are not settlers, you know, um, I've heard the term arrivant, uh, shared by some like uh, Afro, Afro Scotian, Black Scotian, Mi'kmaq friends of ours. I've talked about that terminology, but yeah, just to acknowledge that, you know, there's a huge difference between white settlers and, uh, and Black kin in terms of like our positionality, our privilege and what's relevant to us with the legacies of colonialism in Canada. A hundred percent. It's really hard to, it's really hard to have this conversation without many, many hours but <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> we're trying we're trying i just want to just say it just in case it wasn't said yeah, yeah. i was i was thinking about that too um when we were yeah. talking about it before and it like definitely with uh the black community like here but also with other communities that are like refugees or forced out of their territory and came to these lands you know and ideally like we'd be able to welcome them in a better way than they're able to live currently like in Canada, I feel like a lot of people like who are refugees to Canada are like definitely struggle here in Canada. And like, ideally we'd be able to like accept them in a better way, but kind of what you were going to before with the positionality, like we all come with our own stories about how we got here or, you know, how long we've been living here and the stories of living here. Um, and it's important to recognize the hardships in each of our own experiences, like you were saying with positionality and in that, like realize that our struggles are connected. And I think of that, like even in my own like identity as like a Chinese person um, and as like an indigenous person, as a queer person, I see that like these things are connected in a way that these oppressions are supporting one another. And when we realize that, I feel like we realize that every struggle here on these lands and overseas is connected. So even mm-hmm. for things like the atrocity, the terrorism that went on the last couple of days in London, Ontario with the Muslim family who is like murdered, like it's things like that, that we need to be like supporting as much as possible because the greater networks that we kind of create or expand, I guess, um, between like oppressed groups, the more power that we have together and, uh, yeah, like we like Gabby was really helping lead the the uh, building better relations uh, webinars that we were doing, and I think that like yeah, maybe you could talk about that, but I feel like it adds a lot of value to the conversation. Real yeah. sacred. <laughs> I feel like you didn't even ask these questions, but we're just like <laughs> <laughs> that's the best kind, though. <laughs> yeah, like I could talk about you know what we've been doing here in Ottawa, and so one hundred percent like you know, one of the biggest threats to all of us is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so we have to name it. We can't pretend that it's it doesn't exist. That's, that's what's been causing many of these harms for so long. You know, and it's tied to like sexism, racism, all kinds of isms and violence. And so one of the ways that we tried to build better relations amongst other communities is by having conversations and literally just starting um, starting conversations. Some of the conversations were really heavy. Some were really light. 
Um, but we had some really cool conversations with like a Chinese seniors group. And so they taught us a lot about Chinese New Year, which is so cool. And we see the differences amongst, you know, our different communities, but we also see the similarities, which is really awesome. And then the next one we had was a conversation with the Afro-Caribbean youth group and a seniors group as well. And then we also had conversations with uh, Latin American seniors and knowledge keepers. And so that's like a whole experience, too, of what happened in South America um, and how it's connected to the colonialism up here north this way. And then we also had a really cool conversation with some LGBTQ elders or, and seniors. And of course, we hosted a, a conversation with Indigenous uh, knowledge keepers, because like I said before, Indigenous is not a monolith. It actually encompasses so many vibrant cultures and languages and experiences. And so what we're doing now is we're actually creating a mural that's going to go on the front of the Bronson Center. And it's going to have all of these stories in it and and really amplify and showcase all of the beauty that we all carry. So, yeah, and it's all based in community. It's not like I'm just up there painting something. (laughs) It's like so much labor and love going into it. Like I can't even count how many people have really contributed to this whole project, but it's been really awesome. Mm, Yeah, it sounds great. I can't wait to see it. And definitely the central theme has definitely been of this podcast uh, has definitely been how to better talk about the system of white supremacy, not just, I mean, from a Canadian perspective, for sure, but how it manifests just all around the world and affects so many different groups. Because it is definitely something that I think when spoken down, a lot of folks can identify with those experiences um, from their own communities and and their own lived experience. Sometimes, unfortunately, like what aboutism comes about? Um, What about me? What about this community? What about, but at the heart of it is, is the challenge of white supremacy and how, how that's just how we're all living with that um, and the the consequences and effects of it. So definitely agree. Um, Okay. I'm not totally sure how to put this because it's kind of tricky, but I'm discovering more and more that uh, an issue that comes up as a barrier to just more equity, more healing, more unity, um, and community building, relationship building, intercommunity building between Indigenous people, non-Indigenous people, settlers, arrivals, everyone together, is the kind of misconception that there's such a thing as good and bad people. That's something that I'm thinking about a lot. So. Mm-hmm when we get caught up in a kind of an ego centric, ego driven, I don't know, like a kind of a tunnel sometimes thinking that, you know, I've done so much good work in the past. A lot of things are really important to me and I'm invested in them and that I have really meaningful relationships with people. That means that, you know, you can do no wrong or, you know, everything. And just to recognize that every single person we're human beings and there's no one who isn't problematic. There's no one who isn't incapable of causing harm to others. And, there's been a lot of like good, good little infographics circulating Instagram about this community discussion, community dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been good and helpful to read and see too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, just let's not get caught up thinking that we are perfect and we're immune to making mistakes in the future because we've established some some really amazing work. And also, like, there's you know there are people who've done so much harm that it's not possible for them to be 
in community spaces because they would make those spaces unsafe and they refused to um, change their behavior. And, you know, that's that, but just more of a coming to good understandings together type of thing. I think it's important. You know, no one's bad. No one's good. We're all just human beings. And hopefully we want to learn together. Yeah. No one is like Mm -hmm. no longer part of the conversation because they've done something good. Mm -hmm. You still have to take responsibility for how you benefit from settler colonialism, especially as a white person or someone with white privilege. Mm -hmm. There's always unlearning to do and there's always work that can be done. And yeah, to your point, nobody is perfect, especially as, yeah, as human beings. Yeah. I think we can honor ourselves by giving us ourselves more slack as well, because that's, uh, that's creating a good environment for more learning if we are gentle and kind to ourselves. So I wanted to hear from you all, what projects and initiatives are you most excited to see that is coming from Indigenous youth? Especially, I mean, it is uh, National Indigenous History Month. Um, and so when we are kind of on these journeys of unlearning, sometimes we are hearing about all the the bad and the negative, the doom and gloom, but there is a lot of really great and interesting work that young people and Indigenous folks are doing in their communities and and outside of their community. So we'd love to hear from from you what kind of projects and initiatives that you hear and, and are excited about. I mean, I'm really excited about the stuff we're doing, but I guess we <laughs> already talked about that. But one of the things that has been really like the stuff going on in Toronto right now, like they just took down Ryerson statue and it's been like a long process and so many people have like put time and energy into making this name change happen. So like I've been like off the walls excited seeing my friends update and like seeing the feed about what's been going on there because it just seems like there's a lot of energy and like yeah just a lot of folks that are ready to change and like ready to support the folks that are leading that work but yeah some of the other stuff that's happening right now in Toronto that has been pretty inspiring to me too like we've been working on a medicine garden here and working on like a vegetable garden as well but some of my friends in Toronto, been working on a medicine garden over at Dufferin Grove Park. And apparently it's going to have all kinds of medicines, even like some vegetables and stuff too. But it really kind of got born out of a night that we spent together there in ceremony at the Sacred Fire. And we've been having a Sacred Fire there like pretty much every Saturday, I guess, like through 2021. And yeah, like the fire, like more people started coming, like more youth started coming until like, yeah, there was probably like 15 of us that one night. And it was just a really crazy night where like the firekeeper Johnny Moore got us to all kind of speak on our experiences and like open up to each other about the things that we've been going through and just kind of facilitated the amazing space where we were able to connect with each other. And then out of that, there was kind of this new energy to like, do stuff in community and do stuff for community and that kind of yeah like Kaylee and some of the other youth there uh decide like yo we're gonna create this medicine garden and just like put a GoFundMe out on Instagram and like by the next day there was like thousands of dollars on it and like it's been awesome just seeing them go at it super enthused and like so many people involved um in creating that and now they're gonna spend the summer alongside those medicines, growing alongside those medicines. So I'm really excited about that. I've been seeing a lot of Indigenous youth just like being like really strong 
organizers and activists. And that's been like really awesome. I feel like for quite a while, like people would kind of come to me and like expect me to like organize an action like every time something would happen. And I'm like, I'm only one person and I also don't have a full-time job. <laughs> like I, I need to take a break. <laughs> That's been really amazing to see is, um, you know, there was these two youth, I think they're only like 17, 18 and they organize these amazing drum circles here in Ottawa for the 250 children. And I just show up and I'm just like, let me know how I can support. And they just like, take the lead and, you know, make these really beautiful spaces. And there's also another youth that um, her mother was taken and stolen because of this MMIW G2S plus crisis that Indigenous peoples experience in Canada. You know, the really unfortunate part is that she had to organize a vigil for her mother. But the really beautiful part is that you know, she she did it and she she had that courage to organize this beautiful community gathering. And, you know, that that actually is a preventative measure in my eyes because it makes Indigenous women and girls and Two-Spirit folks know that they are valued and that no matter how much the Canadian government or Canadians gaslight us and believe, make us believe that we are not valued or that we deserve the harm that we experience, it's not true. You know, we do not deserve any of that. And we are, we are very beautiful and strong people. So Mm -hmm. those were some really like amazing things I witnessed actually in the last two days. And then like something that's like, might sound really silly is like, I'm really excited about indigenous fashion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not silly. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's been amazing. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like an indigenous fashion designer, like someone who's a fashion designer that's indigenous. I'm talking about indigenous communities revisioning what the fashion industry looks like. And so I'm talking about, you know, creators and designers that create the most beautiful things you could think of while at the same time being a part of community and giving back to community. So those are like... Yeah, I actually have a fashion blog page. And so mm. <laughs> that's what I do, like, as my hobby. <laughs> You're going to have to show us that. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, indigenous style on uh, Instagram. And our, like, our feed isn't that great. But our stories, like, if you just watch our stories, we share, like, every raffle you could come across and <laughs> every every cool uh, news story. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see. Um, yeah. It sounds amazing to hear how you can literally see how like passing the torch to what you were saying of like, there are an entire, there's an entire generation of young people who are like taking that up and, and being the change. And I mean, of of course, it's like so sad to hear about the the young girl you were talking about who organized for her mother, but um, to see these young people standing up and, and taking up space sounds really, really beautiful. No, yeah. The stuff that Gabby was speaking about has been like absolutely incredible to just be a part of. And I'm also like super inspired by the the youth that uh, Gabby's talking about. Oh, yeah. And Sam is a model. No, no. (laughs) Don't bring this into here. Don't bring this into here. Super Sam. (laughs) That sounds awesome as well. Just to like see more 
young people, indigenous people, people of color who are also, I mean, to Gabby's point, like changing what the industry looks like to say, like, I can still show up in my full authentic self and represent my culture and bring all of the aspects of my culture to every space that I'm in and to change it for the better. Um, So yeah, that sounds awesome. Are there any resources that you would recommend, whether it's books, documentaries, self-guided trainings for some listeners who want to go and to learn more about everything that we talked about today? Any recommendations? So for sure, like we're going to link the the resources from the A7G website, but uh, just curious if there's anything that you think is like, this is a a really good piece of learning for, for people to be able to take on. I feel like some of us are just like exhausted of like sharing ways that people can learn how to be better <laughs> we're kind of like can you just do it already <laughs> fair enough the last like five years I've dedicated to educating Canadians and you know doing mm-hmm. like what we call like trauma porn and you know seeing indigenous peoples like on panels crying and all these things and we really put our hearts and our and our souls and our spirits out on the line and what we get in return is not reciprocated and um i just feel like i don't know i'm just so tired i'm like just google something follow us like you know diversify your feed Um, Because, like, I also think within our feeds and, like, our social medias, we share, like, new content as well. Yeah, so I don't really have that many recommendations. (laughs) That's fair. No, definitely fair. I'll just recommend one book that, like, I liked reading. The Reconciliation Manifesto by the late Arthur Manuel. Mm. That was, like, just a really foundational book that kind of goes over in, like, really brief chapters, about four-page, five-page chapters. Really, like, specific issues and, like, his experience and his family's experience kind of with their, like, claiming their rights as sick Wombic people. And I think it's an amazing foundational piece for Canadians if they're trying to learn more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. So I know the conversation had been going in kind of different ways, but anything that anyone would like to share, any kind of messages that you really want to get across or, or to share out with, with the wider audience? I would say one, one important thing that's been on my mind is uh, trying, to, trying to develop some awareness for everybody about respectability and how respectability kind of constructs and expectations like affect so much of like how we... Uh, how we make decisions and how those decisions affect people's lives. Even though they might not affect our own life, they might affect the lives of indigenous youth because those expectations those expectations are there, but they may not be appropriate. Yeah, so respectability, like for for Canadians to be expecting indigenous people to be to be Canadians is continuing mm-hmm. the legacy of um, goals of assimilation that the government has had. And continues to have, I think, you know, as long as Indigenous children are in Canadian schools, we continue, like, you know, like myself, I went to Canadian institutions for for elementary school and high school, and that continues to assimilate us, you know, with the goal of Indigenous people being more, being more white, being more Eurocentric. Yeah, and just if we're placing value on those things, then we're missing out on Indigenous people who are, who are being themselves. And we're missing out on like what they have to say and what what they have to share. And Gabby always says, you know, we're we're the experts of ourselves and indigenous youth are the experts of their own communities. Um, they're the experts of their own experiences. So those might be missed out on if if people 
make assumptions and uh, and make decisions based on those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to understand where those assumptions are coming from, because to your point, it's about assimilation and it's a very Eurocentric idea of what you think, some, how someone should dress or how they should talk or how they should be in a space. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like how cl- how quiet we are, how loud we are, how we dress and like how we eat, what kinds of things we, we need to eat and like to eat. Just every single part of life, every single dimension of life, we can we can just kind of think to ourselves, oh, they're doing what they need to do for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what works for them. And Oh, it's different. Noticing it's different, but one isn't correct. One isn't incorrect. Mm-hmm. That, that cultural relativism, as opposed to ethnocentrism, mm-hmm. very important. Like maybe to add on to that, something that we often experience is that the indigenous person that's more appealing or palatable for a white audience is often the Indigenous person that gets heard. And while Indigenous folks that might be speaking up against colonial violence and capitalism and might, quote-unquote, seem angry or, you know, like, quote-unquote, a troublemaker, those are the voices that get marginalized. And those are actually the voices that really need the most support because they're often talking about realities that they're witnessing in real time. And so, you know, we really like Canadians really have to stop doing that. And I'll just share my own personal experiences as I've been in meetings where, you know, folks have literally like begged me to come to their meeting because they want to hear about what Indigenous youth are up to and need. When I show up to those meetings, I tell them the realities And it's not a pretty picture. You know, of course, we're doing these beautiful things like being on the land and sharing our songs and dancing. But there's also the realities that are really dark and really like uncomfortable for for people to hear. And I share them because they need to be addressed. And I get blacklisted from those spaces because I speak up. And then meanwhile, you know, a couple of months will pass and they'll wonder why there's no Indigenous youth involved in their programming. Well, I actually had raised all of the concerns, but people refuse to listen because they're uncomfortable, you know, and that that needs to stop because it's mm-hmm. not getting us anywhere. It's actually just perpetuating all this harm. It's such a shame to hear. And I'm sorry that that happened. And it unfortunately does. It feels like it. And no, not just feels, but does happen in a lot of our spaces, especially in like community building and in activism and advocacy and the nonprofit world and philanthropic world where it's not always easy to have those uncomfortable conversations, but they are so necessary if we're going to make any kind of sustainable change. Glad that you're still being that voice in the spaces. I know it's not easy, but I appreciate that. Well, thanks folks. Really love the the conversation. Really appreciate the honesty and the transparency and uh, making the space to to share because it's not always easy topics to discuss so thank you all thank you so much i want to once again thank gabby sam and maddie for sharing their wisdom with us they brought up so many important takeaways that i will reflect on as i continue the work of anti-racism and i want to share some of the takeaways with you now the first is that the work of reconciliation has a long way to go 
Can we as a country even begin to say we're working towards reconciliation when there's so much that we still don't know, understand, or unlearn about the ways in which we interact with Indigenous communities? The discovery of children's remains in Kamloops are recent evidence that although the country has said it's committed to improving this relationship, we haven't even done the work to account for all of the missing children. We haven't properly compensated all survivors and their families. There are several communities across Canada who have to raise their own funds to dig up more areas with suspected grave sites. The second takeaway for me is the need for all of us to recognize how discrimination and systemic racism is rooted in white supremacy. They are experiences that so many marginalized people can understand because of the effects colonization has had on our communities. Lastly, we really need to continue educating ourselves and those around us about anti-racism and oppression in all of its forms, all of the isms and the ways it shows up, racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, ableism. It's the most effective way for us to learn about the roots of where oppression comes from, to do that work on ourselves to unlearn systemic racism and oppression. There are lots of resources that exist in the universe, so there really is no reason for ignorance to even exist. Read the book that Sam mentioned. It's called Reconciliation Manifesto by Arthur Manuel. Also, make sure to read the A7G report. It's linked in the show notes. I want to close today on a note of prayer for the Afsel family from London, Ontario, who were killed in an act of terrorism and hate this past weekend. A man purposefully drove his truck into a Muslim family who were out for a walk on a warm evening. We are furious, devastated, and shaken that an act of hate like this has taken place in our community. This is why we have to do the work of anti-racism education, because Canada is not a country of racial and ethnic harmony, and we are once again forced to witness how ignorance like this can lead to extreme violence. We are praying for the little boy whose life will never be the same, for the Muslim community of London, Ontario in its grief, and for people of color everywhere who are reminded once again that some people in this country will never accept them because of the color of their skin or the faith that they follow. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Join us next week for our next episode. Make sure to take care of yourselves. Bye. 